Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Before we jump into the interview, I want to tell you about the Baltimore Craft Beer Festival. It's the largest all-Maryland craft beer festival in Baltimore, featuring more than 60 Maryland breweries, dozens of vendors, live music, and local eateries. This event directly supports the Brewers Association of Maryland and Strong City, Baltimore. Full details can be found at BaltimoreCraftBeerFestival.com. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and right off the bat, I'll just go ahead and apologize for what most likely will be an episode filled with coughing, sniffling, and the occasional wheeze added in, um, like right there. Uh, I was, We're welcoming Michelle McHugh, the quality control specialist from Union Brewing Company, is it no it's union, union craft, craft beer <laughs> um in these parts i think people know what union is so that yeah it's it's union yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so th- thanks for driving all the way out from baltimore this evening to Absolutely. talk to us thanks for having me so it's been i've lost track at this point but lately a lot of um our guests have specifically mentioned advancements in their their breweries quality assurance mm-hmm. or the importance of quality and um i was like well it seems like we should just do a whole episode about quality now and i and, am your girl for and that <laughs> what in that is precisely what several people have said too whenever oh, i said i wanted to and they're like have you contacted michelle i was like i have not but i will and, All right. and All then right. you also i figured if bam had you talk at the technical summit that they yes obviously would know who I should talk to also. So <laughs> well, I'm happy to one. be here. <clears throat> so what is your background in? Not science. Uh-huh. Um, that's always the number one question. And I, depending on where I am, I'll kind of hold my tongue a little bit and try to avoid getting there. But um, I'm actually a classical voice major um, okay. that didn't finish community college. So, <laughs> um, yeah, not... Uh, any formal science background um yes and always the question is how'd you get into it how are you doing what you do that um, is the next question yeah <laughs> so i'll just i'll go right into my story there um five years ago now i walked into almost to the day um i walked into beltway brewing company in northern virginia uh, which is the contract facility um i knew they were kind of looking for volunteers they were still a very young company about to celebrate their first year Um, and I was kind of in between working retail jobs and I wasn't going to be playing gigs as like seriously as I needed to be to actually do something with it. Um, and I was very interested in craft beer. Um, I never homebrewed anything like that. Um, I just kind of at an early age, um, won't mention the age, but started, (laughs) got access to craft beer. 21. Yeah. Yeah. 21 was the age. (laughs) Um, as it started servicing more and more. Um, and I just started tasting through cause I thought this is, this is cool. I mean the, the micro world, uh, the micro beer world. Um, and I respect the process just knowing seemingly very little, um, at the time going into it, I knew that it required your hands and creativity and manual labor. Um, a and whole I respected lot of that. Manual labor. <laughs> yes. Um, and I really respected that and said, hey, why not? Like, I think this is a cool thing. And I walked in and then um, 
I volunteered one day about a week after that I was part-time another week I was full-time um and then another week uh my coworker at the time asked me to help in the lab or if I wanted to help in the lab and I said without cursing here absolutely (laughs) heck yes I do um and I fell in love with that I fell in love with the whole process I learned all of brewing and worked um in all parts of production at Beltway the whole time I was there with a focus on quality control um but was kind of running the cellar when I left um and production just kind of overseeing a lot of it do Uh, they have a full lab there they have one built out um yeah i mean what i walked into was very fortunate uh for me to have no experience and then kind of go into that um my good friend and our colleague uh drew wiles who now is a co-owner and co-founder of solace brewing company in northern virginia um he was kind of doing minimal like a little bit of lab stuff there at the time had kind of built that up a little bit and brought me under his wing for just all right here's how you make media um here's how you inoculate samples here's how you collect sterile samples it was kind of a very very quick okay let's show you one (laughs) time and you catch on and you do it um so there was a little bit of a of a base um and a very good one like powerful base for what it was even if it wasn't a huge built-out lab at that time um there was still a lot to give me kind of room to oh, I'm working with this and not a lot of people are, or I'm getting to know all these different um, detection mediums, stuff like that. Um, So yeah, I mean, there's a nice little setup there. I don't know how much they've expanded um, equipment-wise or uh, quality control measure um, since I left, but I mean, yeah, the the setup is definitely there and I'm really grateful that was where I started. Had you ever had an interest in science or did that's just where you were presented with that opportunity there and it seemed cool. Yeah. Um, I guess I would say I'm a good example of where passion can take you. Um, and just a drive to, to learn about something Mm -hmm. because you think it's awesome. Um, yeah, the only other science thing was like related to vocal chord structure (laughs) when I was little. I thought (laughs) about that. Not applicable. No, 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 no. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it, it just kind of happened quickly. And I've, like I said, I fell in love with it and I've grown over five years to be doing what I'm doing now. So it, most people who are working in um, brewery labs, do they have formal training or is it more normal to have on the job type training and learn that way? Yeah, that's, that's kind of changing. Um, I mean, just in the huge booming over the past uh, 15 years of tiny breweries opening everywhere. Um, it was a lot easier to walk in with no experience in kind of any realm of brewing, but, uh, the lab and quality control has kind of always been one of those areas where, Oh, you know what? Let's get someone with a micro degree or a biochemistry or a biology degree. Um, and that's normally the case for people who have my position. Um, they definitely have a specialized degree in like food science, that kind of thing. Um, so it just depends on exactly where you go and where you ask. Um, I I would think though in this area, it might be hard for a brewery to, with all the competition for those types of jobs to find someone 
Yeah. W- with a degree for because of the pay difference. Yeah. Stuff the, like that. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it is, but definitely on higher levels, it's, I think that's the baseline. If people are looking, they'll kind of throw that in there. A like recommended lab, at least lab experience. Like, you know how to use a pipette and that yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and more often than not, unfortunately, you can have someone who has a really in-depth science background, but maybe knows nothing about how it applies to brewing or just a very, um, very like on the cusp, like, yeah, well, yeast, uh, like it has mutations. It does this and that. I know how to use a hemocytometer, that kind of thing. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean um, there's knowledge of the entire process right away. Um, which is important. Yeah, because um, yeah, it seems like, as it applies to brewing, it seems like it would be such a small slice of a subset of it. Yes. That probably if, if you are educated, it, there's unless you went specifically to school for yeah. brewing brewing science, which I think there's a thi- that's a thing, right? Yeah, there are then um, a couple. You probably programs. actually still are on the job training anyway. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, <laughs> It's kind of finding that that happy medium in someone who maybe does because it isn't just microbiology. Um, you could have someone come in just to do that, but quality control is the entire process, multiple facets of from raw ingredient to many weeks and months of a product on the shelf. Um, so yeah, and there are definitely our brewing science programs popping up. Um, one that is getting a lot more um, recognition. I think it should. I'm going to shout it out. Um, University of the Sciences in Philadelphia. They have a brewing science program um, run by Matt Farber, who recently has um, released a certain wild yeast medium um, in the past like year and a half. And he also just published his own brewing science textbook. Um, so I, I recommend him to reach out to him or look at the program. Um, but there definitely are other schools that will more, um, I guess more intensely, depending on the level of the brewing curriculum will cover a lot of that. Um, but the more specified stuff for QAQC is coming out more and more. So how long were you at uh, beltway for a little over two years and I've been at union since. Okay. So that union at three, Three years? Yeah, like, I'm, am I'm I getting doing there. the math right? It was like okay. <laughs> it's a couple months difference and then okay. it'll be three years at Union in November. Okay. So um yeah, but walking into brewing was five years ago this August, September. So um yeah, and I, I was brought on at Union um to solely do quality control and kind of um work on building what existed already and just kind of troubleshooting and um organization i guess of of those measures so you would uh, you started at the original facility Mm -hmm. okay um so in your job you really have your hands then on the absolute entire process Mm -hmm. so well, so how did you did you how did you end up at Union? We'll just let you go um, back into your story, then I'll start. <laughs> it's okay. It's easy to get sidetracked when 
I want to actually know every I did, detail. I did have one other specific question though. Yeah. You had said you never homebrewed. Did you homebrew after you started? Or have you ever since ever homebrewed home brewed at all? Uh no. The oh, okay. the closest thing um <coughs> I would say was a good buddy of mine who's gonna be um with a brewery opening in Winchester soon. Um he was with a very small little farm brewery in uh, Woodstock, Virginia. Um, and they had, I think it was a barrel or a barrel and a half little system, electric system. And I was able to kind of collaborate with them on a recipe. Um, that was really the closest thing. Um, did it turn out good? It did. Okay. I was excited. I'm not going to count that though. <laughs> I mean, really it <laughs> That's was fair. That question was purely just to find out if you ever home brewed, if the first time yeah. was it horrible or not. I mean, we have found very few people to claim that their first home brew was good. Well, yeah, this was after <clears throat> luckily having some, some knowledge of ex- yeah. <laughs> process and experience, uh, with recipes under my belt. Um, but I guess technically my first recipe, like entirely on my own, like all the portions of ingredients, the scaling, all that was, uh, the Belgian white, the R and D Belgian white at union. Oh, cool. Which is kind of crazy to think about. I'm like, Oh, 20 barrels. Yeah. Kind of my first recipe. (laughs) We're not going to tell Kevin that it's my first one, but (laughs) Uh, Kevin, I've done this plenty of times. It it worked out well. I was proud of that. Um, so it just kind of put my, okay, I have learned a few things yeah. to the test um, for that that part of it, the creative part of it. Yeah. So I would think, though, if, if you handed a recipe to Kevin that wasn't going to work, he would be able to look at it and oh, be absolutely. like, oh, no, 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 no. Here, <laughs> yeah, can you try no again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but Union, I actually applied um, for a position. It, it kind of was clear they were looking for someone with a, a strict science background, um, but then I got to emailing with Kevin. He realized just on my resume, it had my address and like high school stuff. And turns out we went to the same high school, um, many years separated. Uh, and he grew up. I feel like, like you just kind of called him old. I didn't, <laughs> I, I didn't just, okay. we weren't there at the same time. Um, and he also grew up about two streets over from me in the same small neighborhood in Herndon, Virginia. Small world. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that helped at least more so start the conversation. Did you um, know that Herndon, Virginia holds over like 90% of all the Bob Ross paintings in the world? No. It does. I'm honored. <laughs> <laughs> um, if I can be, I am proud of that <clears throat> and excited to hear that. Yeah, that's, they, it, that's very fantastic. They've never sold any. So if you know anyone that claims to have a Bob Ross painting, they either have a counterfeit or they're lying. Is uh, it just the city has them? No, no the Bob Ross Incorporated is headquartered in um, Herndon, Virginia. Okay, and that they, is very exciting. It just serves <laughs> to like uh, run what's left. Like His the estate. Com- or like, yeah. yeah. When like there's a line of... Um, I think paint supplies yeah. under his name. And then there's like all the syndication of the mm-hmm. shows yeah. and the, they'd still run the social cool. media. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you can, so you, Kevin and Bob Ross paintings were all from Herndon. Yep. There you go. <laughs> That's, Hey, those are three good things. I think <laughs> there's a great, uh, um, video on YouTube that I watched recently mm-hmm. about, it was like, 
it was entitled something along the lines like trying to buy a Rob a Bob Ross yeah painting. I'm gonna have to look that up. It was I found it interesting. Yeah, and you it can, sounds like it. You can call and talk to his daughter. <laughs> Do they still have generations of squirrels though? That's the question. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you can call and find out. I'm going to. I'm gonna have to now. Um, but yeah, so I applied for the position and then um, kind of went in. Um, there wasn't any overlap um, of working with the, my predecessor and just kind of went in and saw what was going on and then got right to it, um, kind of looking to see where changes could be made and improvements. Did the original union location have much of a lab or was it more of like your typical small brewery where there's a microscope microscope maybe yeah um uh, so by the time i got the little there, tray that has the magnet thing that's yeah. <laughs> um the hot plate stir now you know um there by the time i got there there was a setup um i mean my predecessor did bring in some pieces of equipment, most of which I still use every day. I mean, so it, there was some stuff built there. Um, but it was kind of a converted bathroom area and like employee <laughs> like kitchenette in the third space that we had taken over. So originally, um, and that had only been within like a year uh, before that, it was the bathroom in the middle space, just this tiny little thing that I guess somehow it was made to work it was a closed space that no one could use as a bathroom hopefully (laughs) um but that was kind of it i mean um he was the first uh sole qc person to come on um a union and i believe that was just kind of for a year before i got there okay Um, so there i mean there was a little lab to walk into and then i started building towards yeah, so that. they still they I mean they started focusing that pretty quickly then yeah i mean there were definitely issues um with some popping cans and stuff in the past um with the used everyone talks about now is the saccharomyces diastaticus the subspecies variant um that kind of is a really scary thing to deal with um that was definitely an issue that fortunately based on experience I could call out pretty quickly and figure out the source but um yeah there were some issues and it was they brought on quality person um kind of when they realized okay we're growing a lot faster than we thought we would um and we're having a lot more product out there we need to look more into it um at least eliminate that the microbiological contaminant um side of it so yeah I mean, they've, that was one of my main questions in my interview was what is the priority level of taking quality control seriously and, and the willingness to build, um, as, as we need, as we want to improve. And they were very serious about it. Yeah, Cause it's kind of one of those very unsexy things to spend money on. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I, I would mean, say like buying brakes for your car. Yeah, like, it's really boring to buy, but extremely expensive, extremely like, important for you to have good ones. Yeah, so. and and kind of detrimental if if you yeah. let it go too far, you know. Um, yeah, and it is, and it it makes sense. I mean, beer is a harsh environment. Yeah, you know, as far as the microbial stuff, um, and if you're cleaning 
properly you're using the chemicals the way you're supposed to and sanitizing you should never have a problem and if you're pitching the right amount of yeast every time and using your same ingredients same process you shouldn't have a problem with more of the analytical stuff um aside from micro but that's that's why i mean you should be able to get by for a while without having to do stuff yeah. and not have to worry too much but it's better to be proactive and i think nowadays um very much so people or in the past couple of years when labs kind of start up or let's purchase a microscope or let's do this and that um it's reactive instead of proactive which i think is because of what i just said and explainable and understandable yeah. um reason for that but now i think people are realizing the competition is just like you gotta stay on a shelf and quality goes past just microbiology testing um that's consistency you know consistency is everything yeah so. i think it was last week when we were recorded with um denizens mm -hmm. and they brought their your distributor also legends with mm -hmm. them so actually i think we talked a decent amount about union well not mm -hmm. a whole lot but a little bit um that was one of the things like what was pointed out is that because the market's so crowded now that you may only have one shot to present yep. yourself to to a consumer that if I go into a brewery and I try a beer from a brewery and it's obviously like not just opinionated bad, yeah. but like an actual flaw in the beer, yeah. like an infection or something. Yeah. I'm probably never going to go back to that brewery. Yeah. Again. And, and definitely <laughs> um, the same goes for whatever you're buying on a shelf. I mean, that is the one chance it's hard enough to get people. I won't go on a whole binge or rant about like, how people buy things on shelves but um <laughs> i mean there are too many options and if it's that one time they kind of stray from their normal and go for your brand yeah you you got to make sure you can give them something that they like the first time they fall in love with and then can be reproduced every time they go and give you their loyalty and that's that's where quality control comes in all right we're going to take a real quick break to mm -hmm. thank our sponsors and then when we get back, um, I want to dig in a little bit more to like what just is a, a day in your life, like right. what <laughs> what it is you actually do at the brewery. All righty. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. District East is located on the 800 block of East Street, next to Rockwell Brewing Company and Family Meal. Choosing from their large selection of craft beer, you can create a custom six-pack suited to your taste. With tastings every Friday night and Saturday afternoon, Crowler and Growler fills available and kegs to go, it's a beer drinker's paradise. Their knowledgeable and helpful staff will help guide you to the perfect beer or wine for any occasion. They have been selected by many breweries to host limited and exclusive beer releases, which made them the obvious choice to feature my collaboration beers. Stop in and see them for yourself. All right, so what does the typical day of a quality person at a brewery look like? 
coffee first. Um, no, starts actually, out the same as mine. Actually, no, I have to sample I, beer first. Um, yeah, I th- as soon as you started, I was like, yeah, I bet you're wrong because yeah. there's no way you would <laughs> sam- you would taste uh, do tasting panels after drinking coffee. Yeah. Um, so basically, uh, I come in, I do kind of daily vitals checks on all of our tanks, our active like active primary, um, and into the first days stage of conditioning. Um, so I'm running gravity checks on them, pH, temperature, um, and then I'll make adjustments based on those results uh, and where they are in fermentation, like temperature adjustments, um, like capping tanks, that kind of thing, or writing down what needs to uh, be capped and, and like dumping trube, like letting people know what needs to happen. Um, and then tasting the beer from the bright tanks that we'll be packaging that day. Um, generally, I'll get to it before, like, the day it's transferred into the Bright after the centrifuge run, um, and then give my little gold star of, of approval, <laughs> literally a gold star sticker. <laughs> <laughs> so um, all, of, <clears throat> all of that um, stuff you listed beforehand, that that's what's typically considered, like, cellaring work, right? Or is that... Yeah, it depends on where you are. Okay. It's just something that's still kind of one of my tasks that I can get to it easily just first yeah. thing and just get the samples I need, do all the recording, updating of our various logs and But like, I don't I don't think we've ever had anyone explain like a lot of people referencing like sell like working in the cellar, cellaring mm-hmm. and stuff, but I don't think I've ever asked anyone to explain what that actually means. Yeah, and well it, is it that that type of stuff? Um so cellar work <clears throat> um is generally comprised of like Cleaning and sanitizing vessels, um, like dry hopping, um, adding any like fining agent or additions. Um, Sometimes cellar work can be packaging or like filling kegs, that kind of thing. Um, But it's it's mostly cleaning tanks, dry hopping, stuff that happens in the cellar. Okay. um, Versus they're not packaging team necessarily they're not on the brew house um so it's kind of the everything in between um and and like harvesting yeast um or preparing to do that um normally the brewers will handle the yeast on their own um just depends on who is where when but um then the brewers they will do the milling um they will actually run sanitation on tanks uh just as they're the day they're going to knock out into the tank and then they'll take care of cell counts uh like viability checks on the yeast um and then okay so see i would have thought that you would do that but or it it depends on who has what time okay but i mean a while a good while back like when we were still at the old facility i kind of said like you guys have obviously i'm I am seeing and very with what yeast is going where and when mm-hmm. and like knowing what can be harvested. Um, but so they'll, they'll do a count the of ones, what they're actually yeah, pitching. They're the ones setting up for it. Um, in general, like already they're going to be setting up for it. So they just collect okay the slurry sample and they'll do the count themselves. If it's something afterward, like between knockouts and I want to see the, the growth phase of it or just kind of, um, what's happening then or if we want to do more aeration that kind of thing um 
then I'll do like a solution count from the sample port. Um, but cell counts, that's that's them. Okay. Um, do you um, do you only keep yeast for so many generations, or do you make that a, do you make that call based on the there, quality of that yeast? Yeah, yeah. There are a few factors. Um, <coughs> generally, I, I was amazed when I got to Union to hear how many generations it went. Not for how little like it was being looked at, but just in general. I think on like a small scale micro um, operation, a comfortable number is kind of like eight or nine generations. Um, sometimes, I mean, going more, you would see it probably plateau in performance a little bit around like 10 to 12 generations. But when I got to Union, there were some, they're going upwards of like 25, which blew my mind um, just from a like, we don't have everything in line here to actually be maintained, like checking, doing all the checks to know to, for sure that yeah, that's exactly, you know? Um, but it, I mean, it worked, uh, now, and we've built up to it, um, since coming to the new facility and there's been a lot of trial and not necessarily error, but just making sure we're getting it right with much bigger batches, um, not able to make or take as many risks. Um, so now we're up to like a couple of months ago is 14 generations. Now we're probably in the range of like 18 or so. Um, but yeah, it's, it's being checked all the time, just viability. And we're very cautious about what the gravity, I mean, we only work with two yeast strains and we're working with lager and just California ale. So Chico, um, the boho, basically the bohemian strain um for lager but we're very cautious of what beer it's going into when make sure it's not too high of a gravity um or like old pro we don't harvest that yeast i think arguably we could but we don't bother because of how low the ph is we don't want to stress it too much and same with something like double duck pin or any one-off double ipas we're making we don't want to risk not even bother like that high stress environment with higher alcohol um and then try to get it to get the yeast to reacclimate in a very different environment so we're we're pretty on top of that um are there um yeast strains that you're only allowed to use once so like like in farming there you can buy seeds but you're not allowed like you're really only purchasing the ability to plant them that one season is there any yeast like that, or is that not no. not something um, that yeast providers have tried to pull? Well, it's not even that. It's just that's not how yeast operates. Um, I mean, I guess in, in the sense of farming, you would have a seed, and you just start your plant, and it grows on its own. It, that seed is only used once. It's meant to sprout, and that's it. Yeah. Well, I think, are they genetic and genetically engineered to not produce seeds from the uh, plant. Well, that could I be can't... another thing. But even still, I mean, you don't get those seeds until that one thing has done when it's done. And then there's recollection. Then you take it to start a whole new thing where this thing is existing on its own from just that one-time use and can keep going. Yeah. Um, yeast, however, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, it is on everything um, and it keeps going. I mean, you can definitely kill it with certain things um, 
and stress it out to a point where you don't want to use it. So there aren't like proprietary Correct. yeast strains. It, like it's yeah. I if mean, you're buying yeast from someplace, it's just because they're a lab that is preparing it and to and yeah. selling it to you in a usable way. Yeah, I mean you can culture yeast <laughs> from anything. Okay. Um, and that's how it's done. I mean, think about like the Belgian places. I mean, Cantillon or Rodenbach, like. It's all about the microflora. So they're just working with what's in the environment and inoculating or pitching yeast via the air. Um, and it grows on its own. But you can absolutely um, find, like, you could take a leaf and soak it in some sterile water, make a solution from everything that's rubbed off of that or come off of it, and then spread that on some plates, you can get colonies and see what kind of yeast you have. And then from that little colony, propagate it like a tenfold process or something. So how do you, how do you pinpoint, like if you have like a colony with multiple types of yeast, Mm -hmm. how are you able to pinpoint what you want to propagate? Um, well you would have to first ID what it is. Um, unless you know, like if I took, one of our, um, like one of our plates, our culture yeast mediums, which is just another term for our house yeast, brewer's yeast, then I can take that, make a little streak on a plate, and then isolate that single colony. I know exactly what it is already. But if you are just taking something like a leaf and doing that, you need more advanced equipment to actually um, do DNA sequencing okay. or like actually ID what it is. Um, or you could just kind of go with multiple colonies and multiple different flasks of wort and throw it in and see what happens. <laughs> I don't recommend it necessarily <laughs> unless you have the follow-up with the lab equipment and the sequencing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeast is meant to keep going. And it's it's just so, so much the the air and environment. It just exists everywhere yeah. continually. So. All right, so I took you off track at Gold Stars. <laughs> All right, so then I taste approved the beer being packaged for that day. Um, and then I will... So are you tasting pretty much every batch of beer that leaves Union? Yes. That's pretty cool. Yeah, um, and I run sensory panels for... <coughs> depending on what exactly we're looking at, there are different groupings of people. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we do sensory and this can be the brewers, um, the cellarman. It just depends on whose task it is, where it needs to happen. Um, but like a sensory check pre transfer or pre dry hopping, um, during fermentation, you know, or tasting the wort or the brewing water in the morning. Um, so that's happening constantly. It's just a very not regulated but like yeah it's your tiny little sip just a pass fail go forward um then we have more intensive panels to do comparisons like triangle tests and off flavor training that kind of thing but do you have a super refined palate what i will say um is that i've never been a smoker um (laughs) and I, my allergies are in pretty decent shape right now, so Mine are not. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think um, that I do have, it's, I have a decent palate, 
but so much of that is training in like knowing your terminology um so i could think sometimes a really juicy like double ipa smells like bubblegum to me like pink bubblegum but you have to know that that's a certain other flavor or even sometimes like something that's a mix of bubblegum towards band-aid smelling you need to know that that means it's phenolic or same with like banana and clove is also phenols of a different type or esters um it's all about the terminology and once you know that and what exactly to associate with like what um aroma or taste to associate with that terminology it becomes a lot easier um and it's a lot easier to say oh well this has like the slightest hint of dms or like whatever character like i said lactose smelling the beer i mean like that's what made me ask you is yeah so when we we were trying beach drink my final can goodbye beach drink (laughs) Um, oh i'm enjoying it thank you so much um, for sharing you're welcome um i i thought it was impressive like the every all the bits you were picking out about it it's there are certainly um sensitivities to certain compounds in beer um that people will either genetically be predisposed to be able to smell something or not or what have you um but also so much of it is once once you have those relative descriptors of what you know a certain smell to be and how that caters to the actual compound in beer or known terminology, like it's a lot easier. You could smell apple and say, oh, that's acetal- like acetaldehyde. Um, so it's not necessarily a, a keen palette that's like a super palette where I can pick up on everything. It's just a matter, a combination of having knowing, vocabulary what's, knowing and- what to look for. Yeah. Um, and then... Once you have that vocabulary, you can kind of look back to your normal senses and then look at your style, look at um, process of it. It all caters. Um, but I, I think I have a decent palate. <laughs> 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 the, the uncomplicated answer. The, the, the long way to get yeah. there. <laughs> I hope so. All right. So we're to the point of <clears throat> tasting panels. Um so then that are you doing that uh in aged intervals like are you there yeah there are a lot of different things to look at i mean sometimes it's just a matter of training exercises um just to see who picks out what um but yeah i mean there there's a set schedule for what i'm going to taste when or what i want a few people to taste blindly when um and I mean, there's there's so much more I'd like to do with sensory. It's just a matter of finding the time of day to be able yeah. to analyze all the data, um, or be able to get everyone on the same page for one of the applications that does their apps for sensory um, analytics, which is really nice. Uh, it's just still getting back to okay, let's let's actually do this. Let's sign everyone up. Um, so we we do a good bit. I'd like to do a lot more it's just tough um but past past the sensory part um i mean it will then go on to thank thank the lord i have a very part-time lab tech right now but he's really helped me out and done an amazing job um so then i would go to sterile sample collection 
um, or non-sterile sample if I wanted to collect forced fermentations. Um, and then reading plates, um, making media, so like actually preparing the dissolution that turns into the gel in petri dishes. Um, and then inoculating samples, just getting, like I said, sample collection, um, analyzing plates, what are petri you, dishes. What are you checking for when you're doing that? Um, certain growth to see what and if um, <laughs> anything grows on what, uh, basically. So making sure, I mean, the, the main goal of that is making sure you don't have any bacteria or wild yeast and wild yeast the actual term the definition of that is any yeast that is not intended to be in the beer okay um so that's what we're looking for not the sense of oh well this is a bread beer like yeah of so course that's going to be all that <laughs> yeah all that terminology can get kind of like oh well let's let's think wild yeast like i don't just mean bread that's supposed to be in a beer um so that's those are the main things we're looking for obviously with all that um and we we test at depending on what package it goes into um four or five different points for those contaminants throughout the entire process um so yeah it's just analyzing the colonies we have there what growth if any um and then recording all of it um reporting if necessary if i find something and then kind of detective work if god forbid i hope this is wood i think um, it might i think it might be <laughs> um, it's wood ish <laughs> god forbid we find something um then what to do then see see what it is and go from there um and then there's a lot of data entry um just keeping up with notes um, I also run the barrel program now. So that's that's something I've um, kind of taken on in the past seven or so months. Um, so that's another entity of depending on what we're doing when. Um, so I, I attend our like new beer projects meetings now and kind of oversee all special editions. Um, like tell tell me the flavor you want to use and I'll figure out the addition process, like how we're going to source it, what what kind, um, and same with barrels, kind of. I source barrels now and figure out, okay, we want to do this project when, this is what we're going to look for, and I'm going to contact certain people at this point to make sure we have the freshest, highest quality stuff, you know. So you do pretty much everything. No. <laughs> I would never. Pretty, pretty close. <laughs> never in my right mind uh, allow myself to say that. Um, do a little bit of everything. I I say yes, yes. That's more of a proper <laughs> term for it, um, or way to phrase it. Because I mean, our our brewers and cellarmen. I I feel so badly about it coming to the new building. My lab is the only place that gets like consistent AC, uh -huh. and it's like nice. I'm not mad about it because it means I get visitors during the day. Yeah. <laughs> As Any, in the brewers have to come hang out. Anyone who wants to be comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, at, at Beltway, I was on the floor every day working long days. Um, and I loved it. I mean, I was right there, all physical labor, doing all the cellar work. Um, and now it's kind of been close to three years where I'm like, Oh, <laughs> let, I, let me prove to you I know how to do these things or I can help out. 
and we'll jokingly like mill a few bags here and there. Um, but they, they all do such a good job on the floor, honestly. And I, I miss being able to do that, but I just can't, I wouldn't get my work done if I did that. Yeah. So do you do, um, any kind of testing or inspections on incoming raw materials, like on, on hops or, uh, the barley that's coming in? Yeah. So fortunately, <laughs> like at our level, it's easy enough that, that kind of goes into more analytical equipment if you really wanted to get actual quantitative data on it. But there are definitely tests that you can do just with your hands, like qualitative measures. Um, and we look at that. I mean, we double and triple check um, the COA of the malt coming in, um, look at the specs on it. And while we're milling in a silo, we can't really do much about it. We just have the COA and then what's in the silos in the silo. Yeah. Um, but malt bags, I mean, yeah, we're, we're inspecting them. We're looking at it. We're tasting the malt before it's going in the mill. Um, and then with hops, depending on where they're sourced, um, yeah, it's, it's the same thing. We're looking at the alpha acids on everything. And fortunately, a lot of that's readily available. Um, and any further, like, really intensive quality measures you want to do on that um, would be, like, an analytical chemistry type, like, gas chromatography or HPLC um, or, yeah, H. Yeah, high-performance liquid. What is this beer doing to me, man? Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I bet, really, you could say whatever you wanted, and I'm just going to nod my head no, and no, say it's yes. high-performance <laughs> liquid chromatography. Um but yeah, there are a few just basics of like so are you there... can rub the hops and make sure they don't smell like cheese or stinky <laughs> feet like isovaleric acid, meaning they've been oxidized. Um, so are those um, types of tests like maybe a like a really large craft brewery would do, yes. like your New Belgiums, yep. uh, Sierra Nevadas, and mm-hmm. stuff? They they would yeah that have kind the of incoming to do that type of testing and and going to the fields basically and going to going to harvest or plots um to pick the crop essentially yeah um but i mean there's a lot you can do on just uh having it arrive at your door and just use your senses um smell it uh rub the hops like just work with it that way and then check the certificates um they're gonna have the data you need all the data you could work with um and so really all you need to do is make sure that it's not quality yeah yeah it's yeah you're you're getting a healthy looking product um and taste it smell it go from there other otherwise like i said there's not not too much that can be done i mean we do um like sieve analysis um to check our our crush on the grist um what does which, all of that mean <laughs> so you know how like old school with flour you have is it a sieve sieve um that you put through this little like strainer and kind of rub your hands over it and you get a finer flour underneath mm-hmm. it so you can do that with malt um you start from basically the full kernel or husk and go through multiple layers of 
these sieves and then you do kind of some math um, and look at the percentages between the Where it drops out at each. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's a test you can do. And what that measures is that can help you look at the kind of malt you're getting. Like at each level, you want to see certain um, qualities as far as like appearance and stuff. Um, so that can help you look at that as well. But that's mostly to see, are we getting an effective crush um, from the mill? So okay. that's a measure of your grist, which is... Uh, grist means your milled malt so like people if you see the big like cone above a mash ton or something <coughs> that's the grist case um, so that'll let you know if you need to adjust your mill exactly. if you're milling it yeah, yourself or setting. if you're buying mm-hmm. it from someplace that they're milling it properly does that happen i think there's some places that buy pre-milled small definitely smaller breweries do I mean, I can think of a few off the top of my head because it there's a, a I didn't know that. yeah because if you if you mill your own um, grain you have to have it isolated from the rest of the building oh yeah because it'll blow your whole place yeah, up. yeah. so that, like, and have magnets in the mill and all that yeah, yeah. so some of your much smaller um, breweries just buy milled grain pre milled grain huh okay. I will look into that and see what the standards are on it because I'm just interested. Um, but yeah, that's that's a test to a raw ingredient kind of related test to check your gap setting on your mill, which relates to conversion, um, temperatures you need to use, like your mash rest, all of it. So it all kind of goes downstream from a simple simple test like that. So before you um, you had said that like breweries like smaller ones can Mm. get by without having a quality control person. If you have good Uh, recipes. (laughs) Um, So it it seems like a, like a huge part in they can get by as long as there's luck involved also, because yes, and you're absolutely perfect with processes and everything. Yeah. But no one is though. Like, no, um, but I would I would think that from everything you just described to that consistency would be impossible without having a quality person. I wouldn't w- say not without having a dedicated quality role or person because I mean at all breweries everyone wears multiple hats. Yeah. But well, with a focus on those types of things. A yeah, more so a um, <coughs> a prioritized mindset towards quality and what that actually means and what that means for roles um roles and it could just be okay well the cellarman is going to before he dry hops this beer before he transfers it he's going to do a taste approval just a smell taste pass fail look at the clarity of like is it where it should be it's as simple as that but also i mean there are different levels so basically like a chef tasting what they're cooking before. yeah yeah on the sensory level absolutely and a chef looks at ingredients um so that aside from the raw ingredients physically like you can apply the same concepts um and it just depends on with what you already have facilitated you can kind of keep track of in a practical way where you keep it consistent and see where the most important um, little tests are. So it's like, 
if you want to be able to keep using your yeast and not buy a fresh slurry every time because that's very expensive, then if you want to do that right, do it consistently, say, focus on that. Um, If you can get a microscope, do cell counts, and then go from there. You want to have um, consistent, say, uh, I guess, hop, hop utilization. I mean, log everything. Um, that's, that's the first step is write everything down. If you don't know what exactly you should be looking for on the basis um, without adding extra tests or control points, you can go on Master Brewers. <laughs> um, but write everything down and that gives you a starting point of, okay, well, this changed, you know, and do everything everything you can without buying equipment necessarily or um, thinking you need to do something where maybe your focus should be somewhere else. Um, okay, so that was going to be one of my questions for advice to a new brewery or a small brewery mm-hmm. that's growing. What was the, what would you say is the number one thing starting out? And then would that be simply take detailed notes and logs? Absolutely. Um, think about it from like – a review and breakdown of every single point that is could be a variable of your process break down what is constant so something like oh well my water source is always going to have this this water chemistry profile because it's from this well in the city that's how it is that's an example of a constant um but if you're adjusting it you write down exactly what that is write down your um your different gravities throughout the process, your pHs, um, use thermometers, um, just a full breakdown of every part of the brewing process. Write down every variable, um, which most of it is. (laughs) I vaguely remember that being something attributed to Guinness, that they were the first ones to keep notes and logs of everything. Maybe. I don't remember though. I do remember, like, when they first opened, I was holding, like, one of the log books from the mid-1800s, yeah, I that's think, awesome. where they had detailed logs of brewing Guinness. Yeah, because if anything, like, <coughs> without any special kind of test, you're at least recording what you're doing and you have a reference point. Just write down as much as you can, and if you see variation from batch to batch, figure out why. And that's where you start that investigatory, yeah, investigatory um, process into, oh, well, our knockout temperature is not this same thing every time. And it's actually impacting, maybe it seems to be the thing impacting fermentation or how quickly the fermentation kicks off. Like once you have recorded consistently as much as you can, you can actually compare and begin to troubleshoot and then branch off into how do we measure this thing that leads to this and that. Um, I think that's the easiest. And then just there are so many resources, I would say, for people without making any kind of purchase towards quality equipment um, or additional testing, such as Master Brewers Association. Um, That's for a brewery to have a membership, it's like 165 bucks a year. Um, that in and of itself 
is so valuable. Um, you have a mediated forum, basically. You're not going on like a homebrew forum where you're going to have answers that anyone can write. Um, I mean, those those have to be approved, you know, for okay. accuracy. So you know you're, if someone's yeah, giving you it's, advice, it's accurate. It's, exactly. Um, and these this is a professional organization where you have people from macro beer who've been in it for 50 years, 35, 40 years, and also anyone that has a brewery. Um, you can sign up and that you have access to so many presentations, just technical data. Um, and I think that's... It's just one of the most useful things you have um, before you even need to, if you need to ask a question, you know, like, oh, well, I'm doing this, that, and that, write it down first so you can explain it in your question. <laughs> um, and then you can get multiple answers that are accurate or checked for accuracy and go from there and then maybe say, well, this is what we need to actually bring on. Um, also, like ASBC, the American Society of Brewing Chemists, um, there are a few other organizations, but there are resources out there. And the biggest thing you need to do in using those is find valid information, like accurate information. And that's why I would direct people in that, uh, that way. So they know like, okay, this is valuable and I'm not going to go screw something else up because it's not some random person telling exactly. me. Yeah. And that, I mean, however much those memberships are a year, a couple hundred bucks that is going to be cheaper than trying to deal with a problem and not get the right answers on it right away. Um, and also just bringing on maybe testing regimens that you don't know exactly are what you need at that moment. Yeah. So always reach out to people. That's, that's the biggest thing and write every single thing down. So if someone's at the point of looking at where they should start purchasing lab equipment, what would you say is an invaluable tool to get? Someone <coughs> someone who has done it and knows what they're doing. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's kind of the same thing. Like, make sure, find whether it's someone locally who you know has done this kind of thing, um, make sure you can find a valuable source or ask multiple multiple sources before purchasing anything because there are ways, and we mentioned just in conversation, Jasper earlier, he's one of the best persons I know or people I know in sourcing used lab equipment through like random government auctions or like off oh, I guess. Pro that's probably in this area tons of that yeah there is like, a place actually i think in in frederick that is like a second use a repurpose lab equipment thing but i mean i think folks would be surprised um with how inexpensively you can get things and how many um actual control points you can measure with a few things and the the biggest step in that is ask as many people as possible try to get a consistent answer. Um, otherwise, you're just going to end up spending money. Don't ever go directly to a sales rep on some lab equipment because more than likely someone else who's on your side of it has done research yeah. and knows 
where it's applicable before you start spending what someone talked you into thinking is affordable and lab lab equipment is I, i mean i've never worked in like a bio lab but i used to do electronic engineering Mm-hmm. And that equipment was ridiculously expensive. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I'm a, I'm going to guess that um, bio and chem lab equipment is just as bad. Yeah, I mean, even on a even on a small level. Um, yeah, so it's just asking around because you really can do a lot with very little, as long as you know what to look for, and that knowing what to look for has to happen by just asking so is like a microscope would you say is that the first piece of equipment to start with or is yeah there... yeah i mean if if you want to start kind of a physical area um yeah i mean doing cell counts and and viability checks that's the basics of consistency in fermentation um at least through one of the biggest factors which is your yeast yeah um everything else aside you can already record without needing any other kind of equipment i guess but that yeah that is absolutely one of the most valuable tools you can have um and you can really kind of dial in what you can do and start saving money um seeing your your density count uh and your viability i mean that's that will do more than just stay consistent or help you stay consistent in your fermentations i mean it's saving you money um, by not having to buy more yeast more often. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely a microscope and just basic cons- lab consumables like pipette tips, um, good pipetter, your hemocytometer. Um, those are all easy enough. I just think when people go into it, not necessarily blindly, because um, it's it does come up as like, oh, maybe we should start tracking this stuff. Um, it's easy to just kind of talk to someone and say oh you need this that and that and you're gonna end up paying a lot um where you can make a lot of things work but yeah get a microscope i mean (laughs) there you can get them for less than a thousand dollars um for a decent piece of equipment that if you're just doing cell counts you kind of only need it for one function you know um yeah i would absolutely recommend that like if not necessarily a if you're going to do anything um, because there's much simpler stuff you can do without equipment um, that lead to consistency elsewhere. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Um, how was Fresh Fest? It was a good time. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. There was, I would say, I, I went last year as well. Um, Kevin and I went up. Uh, this year, just the growth in the the hype, I guess, surrounding it yeah. and um, just physical amount of bodies was exponential. Um, I don't know how much percentage-wise the growth was in, like, sales, but it was a really good time. Um, and what was great was last year, of course, just because it was the first time for a festival, I mean, your turnout's going to be iffy anyway. Yeah. But... The consumer um, presence there was still very much so white. Um, and this year, which, I mean, it, the area, I wouldn't cater it or blame it to the area because um, Pittsburgh is 
there's a large white population, but um, no, it's extremely. I grew up in Pittsburgh. Yeah, um, I think. Well, I, mean, I grew also, up south of Pittsburgh, like, it is and where craft I grew up, beer. yeah, where I grew up, it was like ninety nine percent white. Yeah, so um, very little <laughs> diversity. Yeah. But like once you get out of the city, mm-hmm. it becomes much less diverse. It's changed a little bit since I've moved from there, but yet you're right. It's not. Yeah, so it's, it's not like Baltimore or yeah, um, your major population centers in in maryland yeah so it was kind (laughs) of you could attribute it to that but also it is what it is it's a craft beer festival yeah um so catering and proof of the stereotype there um but this year it people flew in i mean um of multiple races people traveled to come to this um from all over the country and that consumer uh, or attendee uh, ratio, I guess, um, was a lot more even, and I would say, arguably more so, um, black consumers. That's what I I would say. It seemed, at least looking from afar, because I, I still haven't made it to one. I, I really want to. Hopefully, I can make it next year. Mm-hmm. Um, it looked like it's become more of a destination, like national event Mm -hmm. than just being like a a local event. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, last year, I think just, it was, uh, this is the first year it's hard to get the right kind of, um, (coughs) I guess, hype out there without having experiencing it first and seeing how it actually runs. Um, but last year there were, there are breweries locally and from all over the country. Um, I, I would say more regional, uh, not widespread, but um, like we were there. Um, there were, huh, um, we were there. There were some breweries and operations from like D.C. Um, and other areas because Pittsburgh itself, I mean, the craft beer scene there is finally kind of, Getting it was a, yeah. a, the it was a little rolling. bit behind, but yeah. it's definitely taking off now. Yeah, and so there weren't um, exactly too many options directly in the city to be present. Um, but this year, there there were vendors from all over the country, and more so directly in Pittsburgh. Um, so it was, I mean, it was a great time. It seemed immensely successful, and it was. I mean, the social media, I guess, presence. Well, that's how you figure out everything nowadays. Yeah. But, um, that that definitely was the case and people traveled for it and there were events the day before um and it was just a good time like a lot of togetherness and every person supporting every other person um it got it got a ton of regular media attention this year also that's awesome there were a lot of even like large publications i I avoid the actual news like the play <laughs> i'm sorry i know i'm in this building <laughs> but i avoid the news as much as possible um but that's fantastic to hear for sure it was it was a great time and i look forward to next year and i mean it's only going to grow yeah just how much it did between a first occurrence of a <coughs> festival and the second um, are they close to outgrowing the where they were like did it feel crowded or is there still a lot of um I, i'm I not familiar some, with where it, where it's at 
I know they. It's a newer facility. They had to before they even had the first one go to a much larger place because the because the interest was so large the first time. Um, I think there was still a little bit of room, but I I wouldn't be surprised if come getting those actual numbers for ticket sales, uh, they need to make a change. But yeah, I mean, I I think it's very very valuable what's happening, and I I spoke with Garrett Oliver at that. Um, cause he was there doing the drinking partners podcast and I was like, Oh crap, that's one of my idols. I'm going <laughs> to Kevin introduce me. Um, but I spoke with him briefly about how for someone like himself who has been in the industry for so long, like 35 years, he said it, it took, I guess this long, but really people bring it up on this level for him to realize oh yeah i've gotten so comfortable to what i consider normal yeah Um, that that lack of balance um or i guess uh lack of diversity it's just once you're so enthralled in a diet not diversity um an industry and you are at his level i mean you that's just your every day and it doesn't seem abnormal to you and it took the folks putting on Fresh Fest kind of, and I'm sure many other people, but that's kind of how we phrased it, like to remind him, oh yeah, why is this? Like question yourself um, and question the industry and why it is that way. Yeah, I, um, last year before Fresh Fest, I had interviewed Mike Potter mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he brought up a lot of interesting things I had never even thought about. He probably even- had a lot of stats. Yeah, he they had on, some like, ownership and stuff. Yeah, but it was even more like just talking like general cultural type things, mm. like where where he was pointing out like if you look at most neighborhoods, that the stores that um, he was going to or places they don't have craft beer. Yeah, it, they're they're not selling it. They're not advertising it. Yeah, so, it's like playing it's just, to the demographic and. <clears throat> <clears throat> or what they how, think the de- exactly. like people think yeah. the demographic what they want and however and that those numbers are contrived i guess it's like how let's let's question all of that so he was he was pointing out even just from like an exposure standpoint that mm-hmm. like he just the, he's not being he wasn't being just even exposed to it because it it wasn't in for their, reasons out of one's control yeah. you know and that's that's why you have, you have to question and that's <coughs> i think what for whatever reason it kind of all does boil down to probably the same for women um brewing or being in brewing specifically it's like exposure i would say obviously for white women it's a little different it's more so society gender roles in yeah. the past and who's supposed to do what um but Absolutely, exposure is a huge part, and we have to. Now we're on to. We know it's an issue. We're past kind of why, or like we for so long, this many decades, or however hundreds of years, that's in the past. Let's move forward and question exactly right now, and like realize that can change, and it should change. Uh, this statistic is probably way off, but it's closest bad. Like in distilling, mm-hmm. they're like five female distillers in the country there are probably Mm. more but it's it's a really tiny number yeah so my wife and my daughter and winemaking as well my wife and my daughter were at mcclintock one of the local distilleries in frederick Mm -hmm. so the 
one of the owners gave my daughter a distilling magazine. He was like, here, there are only five female distillers in the world. Why don't you help change that? Exactly. <laughs> she took it home and read it. Good. <laughs> Good. And that's that's kind of what it takes. And She still wants to be president instead. But well, president of a major yeah. distillation operation. <laughs> Although, <laughs> one, I mean, once she's old enough to understand how awesome awesome whiskey is, that may yeah. change her mind, yeah. too. Yeah. Well, I think probably as the president, she'd be able to get a taste of that as well. Just a but, little yeah. bit, probably. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it. it's one of those things where I think it starts with a passion, and there are plenty of women, definitely, but I think more importantly, it's investigating the groups and diversity within the genders. It's, let's figure out, okay, do we have many um, Latino people or Hispanic people men brewing in craft beer in the United States, say? Um, or do we have Native Americans or uh, Asian people brewing in the United States? Um, if not, why? Let's look into that. Yeah. And I don't know if that means some sort of group to encourage going to places wherever that may be or whatever outlets say, hey, this is an option. I mean, maybe it's not what a person caters to, but at least kind of put it out there. Um, and then the same thing within women in brewing. I think it's more easily diverse um, to have women of all um, makes and shapes uh, come into brewing. Um, but also remember there's a difference between like, okay, diversity is great. Women in brewing, let's start it there. Let's have um, just more more knowledge and availability um, and exposure for women to get into brewing on its own. But make sure it's not just white women. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's the same for whatever reasons that on the side of white folk getting into brewing and craft brewing, it's... Now, finally, we're making the move to, oh, our diversity right now is women are starting to get into brewing. White women are starting to get into brewing. It needs to be the full spectrum. And however we need to do that, catering and exposing things, reaching out wherever we can, it, it needs to be on both playing fields, men and women, and how diverse it is within both of those playing fields. And it, if I remember correctly, I mean, it's been so long now since I talked to him, but it seemed like at the base of it, exposure was just one of the biggest hurdles to yeah, it. Yeah, and I think that's what it is. And luckily, the Brewers Association has a very active um, diversity committee, uh, committee, <laughs> committee um, and Kevin is the chair of that. Um, so that's really awesome to be a part of something where, number one, that's that's not something I don't give a crap what anyone's race is or gender going into looking at a job. So that that wasn't a deciding factor at all. Um, yeah. But being able to be a part of an organization, as I would say, as successful as Union is and um, the experience Kevin has had in number of years in the brewing industry, um, it's very cool. And I find it very important to me personally, um, not just to be a part of, but like see someone who is involved and work with someone who is involved in this kind of change and be a part of something that like 
directly at the source is pushing for that. Yeah. Um, and Kevin's very involved in it. And it's it's nice to be able to have connections, more easy connections, I guess, to those outlets of getting to know what what organizations are out there and what actively it's easier to get it through him because he's hugely a part of that change and diversity. Um, yeah. It, and it's awesome. Huge like, part and a tremendously respected oh, yeah. part in yeah. the industry as a whole. Too. Yeah. Which, um, I mean, I couldn't ask for more as far as that. So what Maryland non-union beer are you drinking right now that you're enjoying? Well, this is something beach drink. Uh, yeah. true <laughs> <laughs> true respite yeah. beach drink <laughs> very tasty honestly it, those who know me know i'm sensitive to acidity and and tartness but that was very enjoyable um huh, let me see just depends on my mood um but i mean like i guess any person that's on the production side will tell you they want to drink a lager or pilsner um I'm really enjoying, I mean, it, there's proximity there, but what Nepenthe is putting out. Um, I enjoy going over there. They have great food, too. I haven't um, been there yet. I need to. It's it's good stuff. Um, I'll run over to Suspended every so often. Um, I definitely will try Key a good bit. Um, I'll drink Monument. Um, <coughs> they do great things. Uh, Mob Town. Had some good stuff as well. They just opened. Um, that's closer to my neck of the woods. Um, but I mean, I, it's hard for me to not have my shift beer and then go and have a martini or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think there is a lot of very good beer in Maryland. Um, and it's growing, obviously. Um, kind of, it's nice to see where Another thing that drew me to Baltimore and to Union was in the city limits, there really were not too many options at that time, um, maybe like four or five or so. Um, whereas in Loudoun County, where I was working in a brewery, I mean, it was every two seconds. It and was I, like 34 now or something It took like all that. of maybe like two months being removed um, to lose track of what little place is opening where and when. Yeah. Um so, I mean, that was a huge part of it, but the stuff that is coming up, I mean, Checker Spot, Suspended, like I said, they've just opened, or in the past, like, year, year and a half, they do great things. Mobtown, awesome tasting room. Um, they have good stuff going for them as well, for sure. Um, who, who else is, like, just, I mean, Nepenthe said that. Um, I don't know, I, I mean. that's all the new ones. Yeah. Oh, I lose track, too. Yeah, and then the the Ministry of Brewing is going to be opening soon, which is right by my house. I didn't realize where it was. I'm like, hmm. I'll New be, uh, stopping point. Well, yeah, let's see. Let's see uh, what is there to offer, and I'm looking forward to it. Um, but there there is enough, um, I guess, or are enough really good minds in brewing that have been around the area for a while and are getting to finally doing their own thing. Um, and I and think it's exciting overall within Maryland beer, um, to your point and a credit to people like you, the overall quality of Maryland beer has gone way up. Yeah. 
because a few years ago there were probably there were several breweries not making very good beer yeah <laughs> but the the overall quality of everyone's product in maryland has gone up a lot which the is last great. several years yeah and i hope to see that um <coughs> a lot more everywhere especially in the like finally like developing cities that may have been or areas that may have been behind the curve on all of it that are just getting there i hope they can find cities i guess like baltimore or many other areas as examples like it's all going to come on really fast once that move starts and it is very important to be able to keep up with competition and like be able to be on the same playing field as your neighbor and enjoy that and like take pride in yeah we make some great beer um that's really important so i want to thank you for driving all the way out here and teaching us about quality now i'm gonna make you do a mini shot (laughs) look that is adorable (laughs) these are they have something to do with i think they're like union um the communion cup for communion <laughs> wine. So like a lot of distilleries use these as sampling. That makes like, sense. Um, this is a single malt, malt whiskey that I made with McClintock. Oh, distilling. nice. Um, and it's infused with hops. So put hops in the gin basket. Um, this one was just aged for a little while in a small barrel. Mm-hmm. The finished product will be out in December. Nice. Still yet to be determined name, um, but probably December 7th is when it'll come out. That's a very important <coughs> historic day, isn't it? Is it V-Day, D-Day? It's um, Pearl, Pearl Harbor. Harbor. Yeah. yeah. More oh. importantly, though, it's the, <laughs> it's the three-year anniversary of McClintock opening and the day before my birthday. Here's so to happier um, <laughs> associations, <Yeah. Sancha>. <laughs> Cheers. Uh, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.